0: Luke chapter seven, saints, our text this morning will be verses 36 through 50. Verses 36 through 50. This is the word of the Lord, give it your full attention. And Jesus answered him. Oh rather, I'm so sorry. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the pharisee's house she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair and her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume now when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man wore a prophet. He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say a teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. And the other 50. When they were unable to repay he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them loved more? Simon answered and he said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. So she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, and she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And He said to her, Your sins have been forgiven those who were reclining at table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word and now to the preaching of His Word. You may be seated, saints. Saints, this morning we want to consider these marvelous verses in Luke chapter 7. You know, saints, in our Christian ex-life, there are many times, in fact, there are frequently many times, when we need to remind ourselves of the love of God. We need to remind ourselves of just how good we have it in Jesus Christ. And saints, how we do that is not per se reading every single book that's been written in theology. That's not reading a Puritan paperback. That's not reading uh, penned prayers by Puritans. It may not be reading medieval theologians or the church fathers, but the Lord has graciously in His Word given to us such stories of women, of men, who Society casts off. But the Lord says, you are mine. There's so many stories like this in the Bible, saints. In fact, here's my main application, if you will. Here's what I want you, and I would love for you to contemplate on in light of this, saints. In light of these verses, is that when you are feeling that the arrows of Satan are coming at you, When you have sinned so much that you you feel like you're beyond the grace and the mercy of God. Read of these great saving stories in the Gospel. Dear saint, I hope you take heed to God's Word this morning. All of us need to be reminded of the great saving work of Jesus Christ. Not simply of what He did in His life, death, and resurrection. Yes, we contemplate on that. But simply the fact of this. Christ saved a sinner like me. That is enough for us to keep on going. That truth right there is enough for us When temptation rises, to turn the other way. That is enough for us. When no one believes in our family, when our friends won't believe in Christ, I will believe. When someone asks you, dear saint, why do you go to church so much? Morning, afternoon. Why? Why do you talk this way? Why, when there's a situation, you want to pray with me? Saints, a great answer, which might be the only answer, is this, because I love him, because of what he's done for me. And saints, we see such great love in this sinner who was saved by God's grace. You know, saints, there are people in the Bible who we can say, I'm like this person, and I'm like this person. But saints, collectively today, we all are like this woman. This woman, and her story, a sinner saved by the grace of God is all of our story. But saints, what I want to propose to you and the challenge I propose to you this morning is this. Is that in light of God saving us by such grace, lavishing upon us such mercy and giving to us His Son in light of that. Do we act like this woman? Do we show such thankfulness like this woman? Yes, we are like this woman. We are saved by God's grace. But what's the after effect of being saved by such grace? How do we act now? And this woman will teach us, saints, how to act like we've been saved. First, let's set the scene. Verse 1 says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to eat with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. The scene starts off with Jesus being invited into a Pharisee named Simon's house for dinner. Now notice, saints, our text says that the Pharisee was requesting Jesus to eat with him. In other words, this Pharisee has been wanting to eat with Jesus. That this is not the first invitation from Simon to Jesus. This might have been the third. This might have been the fourth. This might have been the fifth invitation for Jesus to come and eat with Simon, the Pharisee the Pharisee was intrigued by Jesus. He wanted to have a sit-down with Jesus. But, saints, we ought to think that this Pharisee wants to get to know Jesus so that he can be saved. We ought to think that automatically. We are to think that this Pharisee invited Jesus over so that he could become best friends with Jesus. Mind you, at this point in Christ's ministry, he's becoming a big name. So, Simon is not interested, really, in rubbing shoulders with Jesus in order to boost his own popularity. Because all the Pharisees, we could say all of his homeboys, all of his friends, they don't like Jesus. Rather, we see from this text that this Pharisee invited Jesus over, he could say, in order to examine our Lord. Or in words that we might are accustomed to hearing to size Jesus up. To see what this man from Nazareth, this man from Galilee, is all about. And we see the saints first. And the way in which Jesus was treated when he arrived at the dinner. If there's anything that should capture you first and foremost in this text, it is the way in which Jesus was treated when he walks in. Remember, saints, Jesus is an invited guest. He is the one that was given the invitation to come. And in these times, whoever was invited, they were the honored guest. They were the honored guest. Sort of like how we uh, do it in our time today. We invite someone over, they're the honored guest. Now, there are customary things that would uh that one would do in order for the guest to be honored. For example, we all are used to the hot sun. If I told you, hey, could you come over and uh you know have some lemonade and some uh I don't know, pizza with me? What would be things that I would have to do to show my honor to you when you come? Well, first and foremost, I would ask, hey, you know, it's hundred degrees outside, are you thirsty? Do you want some cold water? I might, if you're even sweating, hey, do you need a towel with some water on it? You know, if if you have shoes or sandals, tell you, hey, here's a place to put your shoes and sandals. You can place them here. Hey, here's a seat for you, just for you on the couch. Hey, what do you want to watch on TV? The, re- the remote is yours. There are things that we do to show that our invited guests, or rather, we should, should we show that we want... The invited guests to be there. But saints, this is not what Christ experiences here. You know, we show respect to our invited guests. But Jesus here is experiencing a lack of respect. When Jesus shows up, it would have been customary for a servant to be assigned to Christ in order for his feet to be cleaned. There wasn't no Jordans at that time. There wasn't no Nikes, no Adidas shoes. Jesus wore sandals on the dusty roads, probably stepped in all sort of animal uh, 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 stuff on his way to Simon's. So Jesus, forgive me Lord, is the Lord of glory, but when he showed him to Simon's house, his feet are dirty and dusty. And they need to be cleaned. And it would have been customary for a sermon to be assigned to Christ to clean His feet. When Jesus arrived, it would have been customary for the host to greet Jesus with a kiss. If I come over to your house, the first thing you would probably expect of me is for me to shake your hand. For me to give you a hug. Jesus comes in. Hey, Jesus! And they turn around. <laughs> no kiss. Maybe no handshake. When Jesus arrived, it would have been customary for one to come and pour some sort of fragrant olive oil upon Christ's head. So when Jesus walked around the house, he walks around the dinner, the people would smell the significance of the guest. They would know automatically from the the oil on Christ's head that this is the honored guest of the house. Does Jesus get that? No, he doesn't. Jesus, even from a customary perspective of what people did in this day, did not receive it. He received the uttermost disrespect as he enters into this dinner. None of these customary actions happened to Jesus. And we know this from our text. Jesus tells Simon in verse 44-46, through 46, I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. You gave me no kiss. You did not anoint my head with oil. In other words, Simon, you treated me lesser than the common man. You treated me worse than your servants. That is what you did to me. Jesus walks in, feet dusty and dirty, head probably dripping with sweat, and he does not receive the proper honor that is due to him. Now, saints, we might say, man, Simon, look at this guy. He does not give the Lord of glory all the honor and due respect that he's due. He treats him less than the common man. But, saints, we've got to stop there, first and foremost. Because we, too, can fall victim to Simon's folly. We, too, you know, the Lord of Glory entered into Simon's house and didn't receive the proper honor and due. Well, how many of us, though, on Sunday morning come into God's house and not give him the proper honor and respect that he's due? So it's not just Simon is an heir, but even us today, you know, saying Jesus Christ is actually here, <laughs> spiritually doesn't mean no less physically though. He's actually really here. And even in the way in which we are posturing ourselves when we listen to the preached word, mind you again, if the preached word is Christ speaking to His sheep, it is not merely Isaiah preaching, but it is God speaking to you. And we have to ask ourselves, I'm in Christ's house. What type of honor and respect am I giving to Him? Am I giving the same honor and respect that Simon gave to Christ? Am I giving to Christ the very same customary things that I would give if my teacher was speaking to me, if the president was here, if my mommy and daddy sat me down to talk to me? In other words, saints, you learn to think that we are better than Simon. Because sometimes we cannot be. Sometimes we are on the same level with Simon. But Christ doesn't complain about it. He walks in. Reclines at table. They didn't have chairs at that time. So probably sat on a pillow or something. Right? He lays down uh, uh, on the table or uh, beside the table. And what happens next? The next event that happens changes the whole dinner. Verse 37. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. In verse 37, we are introduced to this woman. Now, saints, we don't know the origins of this woman. We don't know where she came from. We don't know who our mom, our dad is. We don't know if she has any children or not. We don't know her favorite food, favorite color, favorite sports team. We don't know anything about this woman. But the Bible gives us only one detail that we are to be concerned about. And that detail is this. She was a sinner. That's the only thing we know about this woman. That this woman was a sinner. Now this detail saying should not be overlooked. In fact, it is this detail here that makes verses 37 through 50 so remarkable. In other words, this detail here is the black velvet backdrop of this whole scene. Now when St. Luke tells us that this woman is a sinner, we're to think that, yeah, so what? We're all sinners. What's the big deal? If you were to say, there was a man there named Isaiah who was a sinner, we would say, no surprise there. Insert your name. And she or he was a sinner. No surprise there. We're all sinners. But yet this woman... This woman here, she was a professional sinner. She was a professional sinner. This woman lived her life of sinning. In fact, this woman made her money from sinning. In fact, this is how she made a living. By sinning. In fact, everyone in the room, everyone in the room knew this woman by her sin verse 39 and when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this and said to himself if this man were a prophet he would would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him that she is a sinner so not just she is a sinner by nature but she does things that are sinful Now, what was the sin of this woman? What was the sin of this woman? Well, the history of interpretation of this text tends to think that this woman was a prostitute. This woman was a prostitute. That this woman, hear me now, made her money by degrading herself. That this woman made her money by dehumanizing herself. That this woman, when we would see her, we would all shake our heads at. That this woman would would be the type of woman that your mom would tell you to walk the other way if she's walking toward you. That this is the woman that your mom and dad will tell you to walk on the other side of the street if she's walking on the same street as you. She's that type of woman. She's the type of woman that all will look down upon. And yet, saints, while all sins are an offense to God, there are some sins that are more wicked than others. There are some sins that are more wicked than others. And this woman, saints, was living such a wicked life. And to after this point, saints... In light of such wicked life. In light of her sinfulness. She's not supposed to be at this dinner. She's a prostitute. At a Pharisee's house for dinner. Do you think that a Pharisee would invite a prostitute over? No. So she's not supposed to be at this dinner. For no Pharisee. No one would want to be caught with a prostitute. So why is this woman here, saints? What is she doing here? How is she here? Why is she here? Well, she didn't attend this dinner to make money. No. She didn't attend this dinner to pick up new clients. She didn't attend this dinner to sell her body. She didn't attend this dinner to just grab a bite to eat, say hi to everyone. No. This woman attended this dinner to see Jesus Christ. That is why she attends this dinner. This unwanted sinner, known sinner, notorious sinner, comes to a dinner uninvited, not to eat, not to get new clients, but to see Jesus Christ. To see Jesus Christ. Oh saints, I pray the Lord graces you in such a way to hear this message today. To see her Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, as he's, as he's reclining at a table, the mood at this dinner would have been joyous. For this is a festive occasion. People would have had a good time. There's laughing. There's eating everywhere. But there is one person who's not laughing. There was one person who is not smiling and eating with the others. Consider verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head, and began kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. As Jesus is sitting with others, this woman whom everyone knows as a sinner, notorious sinner, known sinner, this woman, uninvited guest, she stands behind Jesus' feet and is weeping, weeping at her Savior's feet. Now you might say, so what? She's crying. What's the big deal? Saints, these are not just normal tears. These are not just when you're cutting the onion type of tears. It's not the type of tears that we cried when Leo died at the end of Titanic. It's not those type of little generic tears. But saints, these tears are like when the rain falls on the ground. That's what the word, those word that word tears means in this context. That her tears are raining down. That she is raining tears on the ground. That she cannot stop crying. She is crying almost hysterically. From her eyes, this woman, this known lady of the night, at the feet of Jesus Christ, is raining tears. But why? Why is this woman so emotional? Why is she so emotional? Why is she shedding so many tears? The answer is this. Because she is a sinner saved by grace. Saints, have you ever wept like this? even right now, if we just stopped, and if you reflected on the grace that saved you, could you weep like this? Have you ever been to a place when you've contemplated on your sin so much, and what Christ has done for you in light of that, you've got to a place where you cannot stop crying. This woman is experiencing such tears. She is a sinner saved by the grace of God. Now you might say, well, when was she saved? When did she meet Jesus Christ? Because in the text, it never gives us any clue of when she met Jesus. So when did she meet Jesus? Well, first and foremost, it's highly likely That she has met Jesus. That's number one. It's highly likely. And you might say, well, where then? Where has she met Christ? Well, around the same time this dinner takes place, in St. Matthew's account of this, around the same time, Jesus preaches a sermon, and it's highly likely that this woman is in the crowd. And you might say, what's this sermon then? It must have been a powerful sermon. That sermon was this, saints. Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. It is highly likely That this woman is in the crowd. That this woman hears these words from this man. Imagine, saints, what her feeling was when she heard these words from Christ. Remember congregation, she's a sinner, known sinner, notorious sinner. Nobody wanted to associate themselves with her. But here Christ is offering to associate Himself with her. No one wants you. I want you. I will not cast you out. All the preachers. Imagine all the preachers and the Pharisees and the teachers of of that day shutting the doors from this woman saying, you cannot come in and worship. No preacher would talk to her this way. They would say, get away from me. You're a sinner. But here Christ is saying to this woman, come to me. No strings attached. Come to me, and I will not cast you out. For the first time in a long time, she hears words from a man who's not trying to degrade her. She hears words from a man who's not trying to dehumanize her, but he's trying to make her fully human. To be what she was created to be, a worshiper and saint of God. For the first time in a long time, a man is not trying to get something from her. But rather, a man is offering something to her. Not money in exchange for relations, saints. But peace in exchange for sin. Give me your sin, and I will give you my peace. This woman heard this message. And by the grace of God, she said yes to this message. She said yes. I will come. Saints, think of Christ at this moment. We hear these verses so many times, do we not? And saints, how long can we meditate on how since we've met Jesus Christ, how light He's made our burdens? Has He not made our burdens lighter? Yes. yes. And this woman is experiencing what we experience the first time we've been saved, right? When we love Jesus, it seems, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Those first-time feelings of meeting the Savior and encountering His beauty and His sweetness, this woman is experiencing that. Dear congregation, do you remember? Do you remember when you heard And when you first heard the sweetness of the gospel, do you remember that, saints? When it finally clicked in your head that you're a sinner and He's a great Savior. Saints, do you remember when you first saw the light? Do you remember when you saw your Savior on Calvary's cross? Do you remember the joy that you had? Unspeakable joy that you couldn't wait to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. You couldn't wait for Jesus' name to be brought up. Do you remember, saints? So much joy that when the minister speaks and preaches a sermon like this, when the minister even talks about God saving you by His grace, when the minister even mentions the saving work of Jesus Christ, that you would weep, that you would shed a tear, that you would get butterflies within you. Do you remember that feeling? Now, saying this doesn't mean that if you don't get these things, that you don't love Christ. I'm not saying that. And if you don't cry no more, if you don't get butterflies, if you don't have those first-time feelings that you are not saved or you don't love Christ, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm trying to say is this: is that the sweetness of the gospel should always be afresh in our minds. That the first, the millionth time you hear of the sweetness of Christ's saving word, it should feel like the first time you've heard of the sweetness of Christ's saving work. That there should be no difference in our emotions of how we think when we hear that, man, I was a sinner on the way to hell, but God stepped in and rescued me. And this woman, at the mere sight of her Savior, at the thought of her sins, and in light of God's glorious grace, in light of her sins... She weeps. She's raining tears. In fact, verse 38 says that this woman weeps so much that she had to wipe her tears off Christ's feet. That she was creating sort of a puddle under the feet of Christ. That's how much she was weeping. Have you ever been there congregation again? Have you ever been in a state and I encourage you after today, lock yourself up in a room and just contemplate on your sin. Think about your sin. Think of how deadly and venomous your sin was and is. But when you do that, think of the great saving work of Jesus Christ. Oh, how we need to soak up our pillows. Oh, how we need to soak up our carpets and our couches those are good things those are good things saints this woman is experiencing such contrition of heart but also such joy such joy and notice saints that as our Savior's feet are being soaked by her tears notice what she uses to dry her feet she doesn't say hey Simon wait a minute you got a napkin? Towel? You got anything? No, no, no. The text says that she uses her hair. She uses her hair. She says, I'm not going to wait for a towel. I'm going to do it myself. She gives, she gives to Christ herself her hair that I'm worthy of being degraded in this way. i give you my hair. She began to wipe her tears from her head, from, from, uh, from her hair. And she began kissing his feet. Simon, you will not kiss Christ on his cheek. I will kiss Christ on his feet. You does not show him the honor and the due. I will dishonor myself. I will kiss his feet. Jesus, when he's talking to Simon, says, she has to stop kissing my feet. <laughs> She continues to kiss my feet. And then she anoints them with perfume. Simon, you won't anoint my head with oil. She says, I'll do it myself. I'll give to you a long works wage. She cracks open her alabaster box. She anoints Christ with oil. With fragrance and perfume. Those same feet of our Lord. The same feet that were not properly washed. These feet that were nailed to a cross. These feet that walked out of the empty tomb. These feet. She kisses and anoints. Why? Because this is her Savior. My beloved is mine. And I am His. This woman's actions echo the words of the church in Song, song of Songs 3-4. When I found him whom my soul loves, I held on to him and would not let him go. And light of such love, believer, the question I ask myself as preparing this is the same question I asked you, the same thing I asked myself, saints, It's the same question I propose to you, Is there anything, is there anything in this woman's heart in you? Is there anything in this woman's love for Christ in you? Can you say that yes, I do love Christ that way? That that I do see Him that way? That He is the sweetest pearl. He is that pearl in the field that I throw everything out for just to buy that field to have that pearl. That He is the one that we say, like St. Paul, I count all things as lost. I count all things as lost for the knowledge of Christ. Saints, is there such love and adoration for Christ in you? If you say, I don't love Christ the way I ought to. I don't love Christ the way I used to. If you say that, believer, the great news is this. That you don't need a PhD in theology to love Christ with all your heart. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to go to Bible college. You don't need to listen to every single sermon on Sermon Audio. You don't need to read every book that's ever been penned in order for you to recapture your love for Jesus Christ. What you need is this, saints. All you need is a good memory. That's what you need. You need a good memory. When all else is failed, when hell is at my front door, when I'm experiencing hell on earth, what gets me by? What gets me through? I got a good memory. I remember the good news of Jesus Christ. I remember the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and also, my Lord's not done with me yet. He's coming back for me. Remember these sweet, as some will say, ABC, elementary truths of the Christian faith because it is these truths that's going to carry you to Zion, saints. It's these truths that are going to get you by. Oh, dear saints, remember. Remember the grace of God. Remember the saving work of Jesus Christ. We all need to have a good memory. And this woman's love for her savior is a great model for us congregation. That this woman is known not for the sermons that she's preached, not for the many people that she spoke to. How is this woman remembered in the Bible? For her outward love for Christ. Yes. She's remembered more than the great sermons of Apollos. She's remembered more. Why is she remembered? because she loved her Savior. Oh, how I hope that you all, that my wife, that my children, when I die, they would say, there's one thing about that man and hope they say the same thing about you. There's one thing about you. (laughs) love Jesus. If that's what they remember you by, praise the Lord. (laughs) That's all you need. That's all you need to be remembered by. To love Christ above all else. As we continue this story, Saints, we see that not everyone is thrilled by what they are seeing. There's some haters in the room. There's some people that are saying, now look look what's going on here. What, What is this all about? Verse 39, Now when the Pharisee had invited him saw this, he said to himself, notice, to himself, not out loud, to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she's a sinner. Simon says to himself in his mind, look at this here. If this man was a prophet, he would know that this woman is evil. And she does evil. Notorious sinner. Now notice, Jesus, though, he reads his heart. Remember, Simon says this to himself. But Jesus knows what Simon is thinking. It's sort of like the woman is washing Christ's feet, and Christ is looking at Simon saying, I know what you're thinking, sir. I know exactly what you're thinking. So he responds to Simon's questions in his head with a parable. And money on had two debtors one owed 500 to dairy, the other 50. They were unable to repay. He counseled the debt of both. Which one of them will love more? Again, you owe 500, you owe 50, counseled out. Which one would love more? Which one will show more honor and due and respect to that debtor who counseled both the debts? Simon answered, I say, I assume the one for whom he counseled the greater debt. Jesus said, you've judged correctly. You're right. That the one who was forgiven much, the one who had the largest amount of debts that was owed, that's the one. Jesus says, the one who's been forgiven much loves much. The one, hear me now, that has been forgiven much, loves much. And while this woman, who was a known sinner, notorious sinner, at the end of the day, she was no different than Simon. This woman, that no one wanted to be around, and this Pharisee, who had a house, invites people over for dinner. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, was no different from one another. But the difference, saints, is this. The difference between this known sinner and this Pharisee was this. That this woman recognizes her sin and her need for a Savior, but Simon acts like he got it all together. That's the difference. That Simon has not sinned any less than this woman. The issue with Simon is this. He just thought less of his sin. in doing so, he thought less of his Savior. Mm. That was the problem with Simon. That Simon doesn't have a good memory. Simon thinks that I have not sinned more than this woman. And Christ is saying, no Simon. You've actually sinned on par with this woman. you actually equals with this woman. You are a notorious sinner too, like this woman. She does it in the dark. You do it in the day. Oh, congregation, how we need to view our sin and what Jesus Christ has done for us in light of such wicked sin, like this woman. This woman literally, actually thought... That her sin was a great offense to God. Do you see your sin that way? That this one will send me to hell. This woman thinks that? She lives? What she's thinking? Simon don't pay no mind. Simon don't care. Saints of God. We need to act. Act like we've been forgiven much. We need to talk like we've been forgiven much. We need to love God and neighbor like we've been forgiven much. Oh, hear me now. Hear me now. We need to come to church like we've been forgiven much. And saints, this is the great foolishness of lukewarmness. If someone says, I'm lukewarm, slap them in the head. This is the great folly of lukewarmness and cold-heartedness to God. This is the great folly, saints. How can we ever be lukewarm to God? In light of what God has done for you, how can I ever live with being lukewarm? How can I ever live having a cold heart toward God in light of all of what He has done for us? Since we have been forgiven much, how can we ever live on the fence? The needle in the middle toward God. How? It's utterly absurd. Think of our past life saints. Think of you and what you used to do. Oh, how he used to follow all of... He used to do your sin with the utmost passion. He would look for your sin. Oh, why can't we follow Christ that way with such passion? We follow our passions with such desire. Why can't we follow Christ and love Christ and get to Christ all of our allegiance in the same way we gave our love, desire, and allegiance to our sin? Why can't we do that? Oh, saints, how we need to have a good memory of what Christ has done for us. And not just have a good memory and just leave it there, but saints, live in light of it. Live in light of such memory. Live in light of such forgiveness, of such grace. Act like you've been saved. Act like you've been redeemed. And as we come to close of this woman's story, what is the great foundation of her love for Christ? What's the great of her love for Christ and he said to her your sins have been forgiven your faith has saved you go in peace saints what's the foundation what's the reason for this woman's love for Christ well simply put is this it's Christ's love for her that's the reason why I love Christ we love because he first loved us And oh, how his love is so much better than mine. (laughs) We'll talk about that in the afternoons. Oh, how his love is so much better than mine. Christ reassures her of his love for her and he says, your faith has saved you. Now don't go backward. Don't ever call up a man for money. No man will give you peace the way I do. Now I give you my peace and go and be well. What sweet words those are, saints. (laughs) Oh, how I hope they never lose the sweetness for any of you. Your faith has saved you, not by works, not by church attendance, not by money, by merits of my own but by belief upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Upon that belief, we have peace. A peace that the world can't know. A peace that the world can't buy. A peace that the world doesn't understand, but oh, a peace that they need and that they want. The world is looking for that peace. Saints of God, you have that peace in Jesus Christ. We may not have all the riches in the world, But man, we have the wisdom. We have all the treasures that are hidden in Jesus Christ. Those words, saints, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Those words are as sweet and comforting then as they are now. They're sort of transcendental statements that they never go out of style. They never lose. It's luster or umph. Christ's blessing to this saved sinner is to remind us of the glorious news of the gospel. And Saints, as I close, what's the glorious news of the gospel? It's this, that even the worst sinners can touch God through Jesus Christ. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I was a drug addict. Christ is for you. I had an abortion when I was younger. Christ is for you. I used to deal with homosexual sin. Christ is for you. I had a divorce. Christ is for you. I used to sell my body. Christ is for you. Christ is a friend of sinners. And oh, saints, how we need to be reminded of such friendship that we have with Christ. That He comes near to us in such a way That He tells us those same words. That He tells this sweet and dear sinner who was saved by God's grace that your faith has saved you. Let's live as if we have peace. Let's pray.